0: glad you made the effort to be back tonight. We're going to start uh, moving on in our Bible study, the grand scheme of things, a a study uh, really that's starting in in Genesis and going to progress all the way through the book of Revelation, stacking big truths about our Bible, about our faith, about our gospel, ultimately in Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to start off and I'm going to ask a question. Tonight uh, we're going to really focus on kind of one singular subject. There's a lot going on in our verses. We're going to look at a whole lot of verses tonight. But I want to start off and ask the question, and you can just holler out an answer. Name people that you can trust. People, I thought about going the other way, and I thought we might get mad at the list, but name people that you can trust. Anybody can answer. Who? Your daughter. You can trust your daughter. Anybody else? Name people you can trust. Your pastor. (laughs) Somebody said not hardly. I don't know. (laughs) Anybody else? Somebody you can trust. Your mom. I can't trust this marker. Somebody else you can trust. Trust. Your brother, you trust your brother anytime, all right? All right, your spouse. Who? Your deacons? Jesus. It's like, nobody trusts the deacons. <laughs> Anybody else? your son all right both of them you <laughs> can trust yourself your daughter, your brother, your spouse, your son, yourself, your mom, your pastor, Jesus, anybody else that you can trust politicians <laughs> All right. Let me ask you another question. Word. What's that? The word. the word. Yes, I agree. Let me ask. Let me ask you another question. Why can you trust them? Why can you trust them? You have faith in them. Anybody else? Why? Your brother. Your mom. Why can you trust them? Their actions have allowed you. Their have allowed you. It really goes pretty close to the question. How do you know you can trust them? How do you know you can trust them? Time in the past, what they've done in the past, the character you know of them. And so you sit there and go, here's here some people we trust. Um, why do we trust them? Because they're trustworthy, because they've proven it, because of their actions in the past. Well, we're going to move along in our study tonight, and the, the, the truth of our study tonight is this. Our hope is in a promise-keeping God. Our hope is in a promise-keeping God. In fact, I'll just tell you, it is our only hope. In the world we're living in, our only hope is in a promise-keeping God. The truth of that is we can trust God, and our trust is well-placed if it is placed in God. That's a big thing. We're moving along, we're still in Genesis, but we're coming to this big truth. Our hope, if we have any hope, is in our God that is trustworthy, that is faithful, and keeps his promises. Now, as we get started, we're gonna move into a whole bunch of verses in a minute, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever made a promise that you could not keep? And I'm not saying you did not keep it. We lie, we mess up, we make promises, and we, we turn and don't carry them out. But I'm talking about a promise that you could not keep. You intended to keep it. You had good intentions in making it. But for whatever reason, you were not able to carry it out. You know, if I say, you know what? I, oh, I want to give you a million dollars in a year. And I promise you in a year, I'm going to have a million dollars. But I wasn't able to pull it off. Have you ever made a promise that you could not keep? That you were not able to carry out? Well, part of that goes back to if we make promises, we have to have the ability to carry out the promise. And so our hope is in a promise keeping God, but he's not just making promises. He is powerful enough that if he makes a promise, the promise will come to pass. Now, that's a big thing. We make promises. There's lots of folks. Our TVs full of people making promises, but you have to have the power to to bring the promise to pass. Well, our hope is in a God that keeps his promises, that is faithful in his promises, and that if he makes a promise, he's able to make it come about. On our sheet tonight, we're going to start moving through it. A little bit of context, and I like I like the timeline of this. In our account tonight, that we're going to start reading in. It's been about 370 years since the flood, and so there's that big event. It's been 260 years since, since the Tower of Babel, the dispersion there at the Tower of Babel, that was our previous set of verses that we've looked at. Noah died two years before the birth of Abraham. Now we're going to look at Abraham, and so that shows you the flow of things. It shows you the continuity of things. And so here we are moving along. Uh, Noah has passed away two years before the birth of Abraham. Now, all of that to say this, time is marching on, and played out in time is God's plan. God has a plan, and it is taking place in time, over time, through time. So time's marching on. We've read about Noah. We've read about the Tower of Babel. Uh, Noah has now passed away. We're about to see the birth of, uh, the birth of Abraham and his story, and God's plan is, is being carried out through time. Our key point tonight, again, is, Our hope is in a promise-keeping God. I'm going to read, I'm getting ready to read probably the most verses I've ever read in one sitting to a crowd out loud. Um, I started thinking, well, what are some verses I could break out? What are the key verses? And I just came back to the point, this is a Bible study, and our account's from the Bible, and so it's not going to hurt us to go and see the entirety or or the bulk of this account. So I'm getting ready to read a whole bunch of verses, and then we're going to come back and take our are points out of them. I'm gonna start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, and I'm gonna read all the way to chapter 18, verse 19. So starting in chapter 11, uh, here's the account, and you can just listen as I read. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Issach. Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran." There is this clan, they're in Ur of the Chaldeans. They launch off and they're gonna go to Canaan. That is their intent, Uh, but they only get as far as Haran. It's about halfway to to Canaan, and so they settled there. It's what the Bible says. They settled there. I think there's some meaning to that word. They didn't get all the way where they were going. They stopped short of where they were going, and they settled in the land of Haran. Chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated. And the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out of the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem, to the the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was in the land. So they leave the halfway place of Haran. They make their way to Canaan. When they get to Canaan, the Canaanites are living in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, the promised land, Canaan. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar of the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. In Canaan, there's a famine. He's going to go down to Egypt to travel there, to, to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he saw Sarah his wife. See now, I know you are a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. They're going to the land of Egypt. He knows his wife is a beautiful woman. He knows, he presumes they will kill him and take his wife. And so he says, tell him you're my sister and then we both can live. And so he tells his wife, Sarah, Tell them you're my sister and then then we both can live. Please say you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake. And gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys, and male and female servants, and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. He and his wife and all that belonged to him, Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. They come to this place, they decide that it's too crowded there. Their herdsmen are fighting, and so Abram, being an honorable man, says, Look at all this land. You want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. You want to go to the left, you choose, and I'll go to the right. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, and as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, He picked the best land, the well-watered land. He took all the best land. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look at the place from where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. God promises him, as far as you can see, as far as your heel can walk, I'm going to promise you this land. Turning to chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Listen to verse 6 again. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of the Chaldeans to give you this land and possess it. He said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, a terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants... We'll be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this lamb from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadamite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephraim and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Gergesite, and the Jebusite. Now, let me explain that just a second. When the covenant was made, the tradition was they would take these animals and they would cut them in half. They would lay the two halves on each side of an aisle, and the two people making the covenant, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, would walk between the halves. It was sealed in blood. It was reminded... IN THE DEATH OF THESE ANIMALS. AND SO IT WAS A BLOOD COVENANT. WELL, NOTICE HERE, WE'RE GOING TO SEE IT IN A LITTLE BIT. NOTICE HERE, HE MAKES A COVENANT WITH Abram, BUT THEY DO NOT WALK THROUGH IT TOGETHER. Abram GOES TO SLEEP, GOD PUTS HIM TO SLEEP, AND GOD WALKS THROUGH HIMSELF, BY HIMSELF. NOW WHAT THAT MEANS IS THERE IS A COVENANT, BUT GOD GUARANTEES BOTH SIDES. WHAT THAT MEANS IS THIS, THEY MAKE A COVENANT, GOD GUARANTEES BOTH SIDES, God says this by traveling through the two halves. If I break it, I shall die. If you break it, I shall die. I want you to start to think about the covenant we have answered in Jesus Christ. If we shall break the covenant, God himself will die. He seals, guarantees both sides of the covenant. All right, verse 16, moving on. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar, So Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight." So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority, "'Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, "'I will greatly multiply your descendants "'so that they will be too many to count.' "'The angel of the Lord said to her further, "'Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, "'and you shall call his name Ishmael, "'because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. "'He will be a wild donkey of a man. "'His hand will be against everyone, "'and everyone's hand will be against him, "'and he will live to the east of all of his brothers.' Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Beer La Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar, Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Chapter 17, "'Now, when Abram was 99 years old, "'the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "'I am God Almighty. "'Walk before me and be blameless. "'I will establish my covenant between me and you, "'and I will multiply you exceedingly. "'Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, "'As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, "'and you will be a father of a multitude of nations.'" No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations come from you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus says my covenant, be "'Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh "'for an everlasting covenant. "'But an uncircumcised male "'who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, "'that person shall be cut off from his people, "'for he has broken my covenant. "'Then God said to Abraham, "'As for Sarai, your wife, "'you shall not call her name Sarai, "'but Sarah shall be her name. "'I will bless her, "'and indeed I will give you a son by her, Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. "...then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin." In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Chapter 18, now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself down to the earth and said, "'My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, "'please do not pass your servant by. "'Please let a little water be brought, "'and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. "'And I will bring a piece of bread "'that you may refresh yourselves. "'After that you may go on, "'since you have visited your servant.' "'And they said, so do as you have said.' "'So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, "'Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour.' Need it and make bread cakes.' "'Abraham also ran to the herd "'and took a tender and choice calf "'and gave it to the servant, "'and he hurried to prepare it. "'He took curds and milk and the calf "'which he prepared and placed it before them, "'and he was standing by them under the tree "'as they ate. "'Then they said to him, "'Where is Sarah your wife?' "'And he said, "'There in the tent.' "'He said, "'I will surely return to you "'at this time next year, "'and behold, Sarah your wife will have a son.' And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also?' And the Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh, saying, "'Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? "'Is anything too difficult for the Lord?' "'At the appointed time, I will return to you "'at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son.' "'Sarah denied it, however, saying, "'I did not laugh, for she was afraid.' "'And he said, No, but you did laugh. "'Then the men rose up from there "'and looked down toward Sodom, "'and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. "'The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham "'what I'm about to do, "'since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation?' and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what, has, what he has spoken about him. We're going to stop right there tonight. That's a whole lot of stuff. That's a whole lot of history. That's a whole lot of information. Uh, we're going to pull the main things Out of that account. Now, the first thing we see in that account, a lot of stuff going on, but the first thing we see is this God uses people to fulfill his plan. Now, I want you to think about the progression we've made up to this point. Remember in the garden, the problem is sin. Man has sinned, man has entered into sin. Remember, the problem of sin is that there's no man made or man offered remedy for it. Man can do nothing about the problem of sin. In sin, we are guilty. In sin, we have the consequence of death. And there's nothing we can do to fix the problem of sin. We can't work hard enough. We can't do certain things. And so we're stuck in the problem of sin. The truth of that is this. We need a Savior. Well, God's plan all the way back from Genesis chapter 3 is that as our Savior God... He is going to provide our Savior. That's the story that we're in. That's the account that we're moving through. The problem is sin. The problem of sin is that man can do nothing about it. God is going to provide our Savior. That Savior is going to come from a people. That Savior is going to come from a nation. That Savior is going to come out of a framework that we will be able to know our Savior, the Messiah. Now here's the thing, all of that to say this, that plan moves forward through Abraham. God uses people to fulfill his plan. God's gonna provide a savior. That plan is gonna move forward and he uses Abraham to fulfill his plan. I wanna talk about one thing and then we're gonna move on from there. Abraham is chosen for this role of service. God chose him He could have chosen anybody. He chooses Abraham that through him is going to be a nation and out of the nation is going to come Christ, is going to come Jesus. He doesn't choose Abraham for salvation. There's some that get that mixed up. He doesn't say, I choose you to be saved and not somebody else to be saved. It's not talking about salvation. We're going to see how he's saved. No, it is saying, I'm choosing him to work my plan through him. Now, let me tell you something. Today, that's still the same. That's always been the same. God works through people. And you might say, well, why does he work through them and not through me? Why does he work in a different way through them than he does through me? It's God's wisdom. It's God's plan. He's going he's to work through Abraham. He's going to produce a people, and out of that people is going to come Christ. So he chooses Abraham, and through Abraham his plan is going to move forward. First point is this. God uses people to fulfill his plan. Now, the second part of that is this. God uses imperfect people in his plan because all people are imperfect. Now, let me me point this out. I think it's a pretty interesting thing. We just read some crazy stuff, and let let me explain it a little bit better. God cannot and does not use perfect people you know why? Because there's not any. That's the great reason why. There's not any, there's not any perfect people. He does not use perfect people because there's not any perfect people. Now I want you to think about this, and this is what we see in this account. Think about us as, as humans, as people. There's something about us that with time we remember the good, but we forget the bad. You ever notice that? As time goes by, you think about a person. Man, they were this and man, they were that, but we forget the bad things. Think about a, a time, man, when we were in high school or man, when this thing was happening. We remember the good things, but for some reason, we start to forget the bad things. That's how we get the idea of the good old days. And every generation has a vision of the good old days. Now, I can tell you what mine are 1986, 87, 88, down to about 92. Music was better, hair was better, cars were better, everything was better in those good old days. Every generation has a version of the good old days. Do you know in the good old days, if you look back, there weren't this and there weren't that and there weren't vaccines for this and people died like this and, and we forget all the crazy stuff that didn't happen that, was, that wasn't very good. For some reason, we start to forget the bad things and all we remember are the good things. Every generation does that. Well, here's what's interesting. God, in his integrity and in his honesty, tells us the full story. If we were to come back and say, you know what, I want want you to remember my story, but I want to leave out some parts of it, and I want you to forget some other parts of it. God's not like that. He tells us the full story. Now, I'm going to show you why that's important. In this story, we're introduced to the man of faith. He's called the man of faith, Abraham. The father of faith, Abraham. He's held up as as the father of faith. When we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, the man of faith, I was thinking about this. Did you ever know that the man of faith tells Pharaoh, this is my sister, and you can have her so I don't get killed? Doesn't sound so faithful all of a sudden. And you go, guess what he does? He lies. He just straight up lies. Guess what he does? He doesn't trust God. God said, go to this land. He doesn't trust God. So he decides, I'll make up my own scheme. Think about this. He puts his wife in harm's way. And I, when I read that account, he, there's another, another account when he does a very similar thing. I think about Sarah. What does she have to say if she's riding off with Pharaoh in the chariot? Does she look back at Abraham and go, the man of faith. That's good. The man of faith. Here's the point to that. Don't miss this. Abraham is not righteous. He's not righteous. He's flawed. In fact, evidently, he's seriously flawed. He he needs a Savior. And I, I read that, I think, you know what? We could talk about Abraham so much, we forget. Abraham was a mess like we are. Abraham got scared of Pharaoh like we might have. Abraham lies like we lie. Abraham was not righteous. But I want to show you this. We passed over, it's in chapter 15, verse 6. Talking about Abraham, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. How was Abraham declared righteous? Not because he was righteous, not because he never messed up. It says because he believed in the Lord. By faith, he is declared righteous. It is reckoned to him, it means it is counted toward him as righteousness. You know what? Abraham needed a Savior. You know what? He couldn't earn it on his own. But you know what? By faith, by believing in the Lord, it is credited to him as righteousness. That is our gospel. God uses imperfect people because that's all there are, are imperfect people. I think that's very interesting. Next part is this. The promise. The promise. We see in in chapter 15 this promise. We see the promise As it is explained, as it unfolds, the promise is the object of the faith, which means this. What are you believing? The promise. What are you trusting in? The the maker of the promise. The promise is the object of the faith. The promise is the framework for the delivery of the Messiah, of the Savior. It is the way we understand who Jesus is because of this promise. Now, let me explain this. Covenant is a Hebrew word that means to bind, to rope together, to tie together, a covenant. A covenant, it was an oath-bound promise, usually marked with the shedding of blood. The two halves they walk through, it is marked in, in a symbolic fashion to the shedding of blood. It is a promise, a covenant, Made in blood. Now, I want you to see this. It is the strongest form of commitment in that culture. There's not a stronger form of commitment. It is not a mutual contract because you know what you can do? You can break a contract. If you pay a lawyer, you can break a contract. It is not an agreement. You know what? You can go back on an agreement. It is not an alliance where, hey, we have the same motivation. Let's just get together and agree on this. It is the strongest form of commitment. It is a blood covenant guaranteed with your life made in blood. I want, to, I want to point out two things here. First thing in chapter 15 we see God himself guarantees both sides of the covenant. If he breaks it, he'll die. If we break, break it, he will pay it with his own blood himself. The second thing is this, and I, and I talk to folks when they're about to get married. Did you know Another covenant is marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Uh, We are going into a marriage in a covenant relationship. Um, Sometimes when when folks come in, they're going to talk about getting married. I say, we say in our modern marriage ceremony until death do us part. And we think, you know what, we'll be married until one of us passes away for whatever reason, then we're going to be free of this. And the truth is, you're making a promise that if you should break it, you should pay with your life. And I always tell them, we don't have anybody at the church that's assigned to go kill people that break their marriage covenants, but that heaviness ought to weigh on us as we're considering marriage. It is a blood covenant, the same thing that we see here. So it is, it is a promise, an oath-bound promise marked with the shedding of blood, the strongest form of commitment. God makes this covenant. All right, there's a couple signs Of the covenant. How do we know? uh, How are we reminded of the covenant? Let me tell you uh, three signs. There's some others you could pull out. The first sign of the covenant is they are given new names. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Notice both of those end up with a form of the letter H. That comes from the name Yahweh. And so basically, God gives them part of His name. You're in a covenant relationship with me. Do you know why when we get married, the wife generally takes the husband's name? Because there's the sharing of the name. It comes from this exact same thing. God gives them part of the name, his name. So there's a, there is a new name. That letter H is the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That fifth letter is representative of grace. And so his covenant God doesn't have to make deals with people. He doesn't have to save people. It is his grace that there's even a covenant. So he gives them part of his name. It is made in grace. There's also a new identity when a person gets a new name. Um, Think about that. So much of what we are is tied to our name. When I say a name, there's people I wouldn't name my kids because I know somebody with that name. There's that much attached to it. Well, guess what? They get a new name. They have a new identity. They have a new future, and it's all settled, grounded in the promise. And so there is a new name. Abraham's name, Abraham actually means father of a multitude. So think about that. The father of nobody has no heir, becomes the father of a multitude. Today, if you're to try to count his heirs, guess what? You'd have a better job going to to South Padre and counting the sand. And that's exactly what God said. He kept his promise. So he's the father of a multitude, all right? There is a new name. There's also a sign of the covenant. It is weird. (laughs) I looked into all the the reasons and all the stuff, and all I can sum it up is this. It's weird. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. Why did he pick that? I, I go, cut off his left ear, do something else, but this is the sign of the covenant. Here's the two things I can tell you about that. Number one is this, it's not taken on easily. And I think that's an important thing. That's not something you say, hey, you want to make a deal? It's not entered in too lightly. And it serves as a personal reminder, a personal reminder. So circumcision, he says, this is going to be the sign of this covenant, of this promise. He says, the males of your household, this will be the sign of the covenant. So there's a sign. And the last part, the 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 last sign is the son himself. And you got to think, 90 years old, 99 years old, having a son is, I mean, it's not highly unlikely, it's unlikely unlikely. I mean, that's nuts. And yet, the son, Isaac, is the sign of the promise. He's also the fruit of the promise. And so there's a promise made. And so when you see Isaac walk by, he's the sign of the promise. He's the fruit of the promise. He's what came out of the promise. As he walks and talks, he is a sign that God keeps his word. There shouldn't be a son and there's a son, and it's a sign God keeps his word. As sure as Isaac lives, walks, and talks, he is a sign that God keeps his promise. All right, one last thing, and then we're about to pull this all together. The last thing I just couldn't help but thinking about when you read this crazy account here's the truth sin has far reaching consequences. God said, I will give you a son. Guess what? Abraham and Sarah do. Ah, that sounds crazy. Let's figure out a different way. Let's go around that plan. Let's decide on some other way. Sin has far reaching consequences. Here's, here's the deal, and I, I, it's, it's just how we are, but we think in the moment. We think in the moment. That's what I think about. Especially in sin, we think in the moment. We think about right now in, in sin. And even if we think about consequences, we don't think past today, which means this. If you lie, you're going to get caught. And you say, well, that's a risk I'm willing to take. And if there's a punishment, I'll take it. And even if we think about consequences, most of the time we don't. Even then we just think about the short-term consequences. Here's the truth. Sin has far-reaching consequences. And even though we're short-sighted and thinking about today, our sins carry a far-reaching consequence. Can you imagine? I was thinking about this today, Abraham. Can you imagine Abraham thinking, that that decision and that decision is going to produce things that we still see today, a people that are always at war, a people that want to kill Christianity, uh, angst and and trouble in the Middle East. Would you say, Abraham, thousands of years from now, this sin is still going to be causing problems. Here's the thing about our sin, and I, I think we need to take note of that. Our sin is the same. And we, we're in an age where we want people to not get too worried about sin. But, you know, your sin has a consequence now, but it also has far-reaching consequences we might not ever think about, we might not even consider. Let me give you an example of that. What if there is somebody that never trusts Christ because of how you treated somebody at the grocery store or because of how you lied somewhere? or how you did somebody dirty somewhere, and you think, well, I got it all worked out, and I asked them, and they forgave me. But somebody walked by and said, I, I don't want any part of that, and I don't trust them, and I see them claiming that. What if your sin of today prevents somebody from saying, I want, I want to trust Christ? And you know what? It may be 12 years from now. It may be 20 years from now. And somebody said, well, my grandmother, my dad, my brother, my neighbor, that, that person that taught Sunday school, their sin has turned me off to having an open ear for the gospel. Our sin is the same. And, and I'm talking about little ways, big ways, ways we can't imagine, and ways that are unseen. Our sin has far-reaching consequences. We see that in this account. All right, let's, let's pull it together. This covenant today, when I read that many chapters, if, number one, it's hard to listen to that much. But as you're hearing it, aren't you honestly going, what in the world does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? What's that even talking about? Why do I care about that? Let me bring it to you right here. God makes a promise thousands of years ago that through Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Do you know how that's answered? Jesus. All nations are blessed in the person of Jesus. He makes a promise to Abraham that in your seed, Is what it says in Hebrews, singular, that all nations will be blessed. That seed is Jesus. Did you know that covenant pertains to us in that we're saved by faith in Jesus? And a promise made in a long away place in a land long ago is still carried out in the person of Jesus. I want to tell you something else we see in this covenant. The pattern is still the same. Abraham was not righteous. He was saved by faith. Guess what? Not one of us, the Bible says, no, not one. We're righteous. We're saved by faith. In the seed of the promise, it's still Jesus. What does this mean to us today? God hasn't lied. God has kept his word. His promise holds true. We have salvation in the seed of Abraham in Jesus Christ Himself. That is good news for us tonight. Listen to this last verse. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24. And 29, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. We're set right with God by faith. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Not a Jew, not lineage, but by faith. If you've trusted Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Maybe you remember a long time ago on a church bus going somewhere singing Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons and I am one. That's exactly what this is. By faith in Jesus, the promise comes and is, is a blessing to all nations and is a blessing that can be received by us by faith in Jesus Christ. The covenant matters, the covenant's fulfilled in Christ. We have hope today in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Glad you're here. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for our church. We're thankful for the ability to learn your word, to hear your truth, to build a framework, a foundation that we can understand the gospel and the grace of our Savior Jesus that we would understand that not one of us is righteous, but that in the faith placed in Christ, that we're made righteous, saved by faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray, thank you for the food we ate tonight, for those that cooked it, those that laughed around tables and fellowshiped. And we praise you for that opportunity, Lord. I pray for our kids that are meeting right now, hearing about a promise, hearing about a God that keeps a promise. I pray that a foundation is built that will endure, that will stand the test of time. I pray for our youth, The same thing tonight as they learn, as they grow, as they hear of the same God, I I pray, Lord, that it stands in their minds and in their hearts, that it's a foundation again that will endure. And then I pray for us tonight. I pray as we read this this account um, that we're reminded who you are and our eyes are put upon you and that we leave here tonight sure as can be that your promises will hold true, that you're able to bring them about that you're trustworthy, that you're faithful. I, I pray that we would leave here in peace. I pray we'd leave here in hope, that we would leave here with security. We wouldn't come out of here with anxiety, but we would know we serve a risen Savior. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And then I pray, Lord, that we're agents of that good news, that we tell other folks as well. We're thankful for this night. I pray all this in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen.